0: Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for
1: all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to Delirious Nomads. I am here with my good friend, Curran Reynolds, new york pr extraordinaire who's been doing this for a while now uh how are you current good thank you for having me matt thank you for coming on to this little uh affair so before we kind of get into you know we you and i want we're talking about you know the theory of pr and what makes things resonate with fans but before we really get into that i wanted to kind of talk to you just about who are you what where do you come from what's the story
0: yeah well the story is that. When I was a little kid, I got really excited about the rock and pop music that was coming out at that time, which was, for me, the mid-80s. And um, the passion and excitement I felt for that stuff was just uh, a really big deal to me. And I took that feeling and ran with it. Um, So I started playing drums when I was 10 years old, and everything kind of spiraled from there, you know, playing in a rock band at age 13, 14. Um, and, you know, just really obsessing about bands and and listening to albums on my headphones from start to finish every single night. Yeah, I just sort of took that spirit and ran with it. And eventually, you know, here we are I'm forty 45 years old, and um, been doing this stuff nonstop, you know, playing in bands and making music of my own and also helping the careers of other people's bands.
1: And so that's kind of what I want to get into. So you started doing the PR 10 years ago? So
0: um, let's see. So I got an internship in college at Matador Records and they put me in their PR department. And at that time, I didn't even know what that was. Um, So that was, you know, I was maybe 19 years old. So that was my first taste of like New York City music industry stuff. I graduated college. I uh, worked at a record store for a while. I got actually my first job out of school. I got hired at SOBs, which is a, a nightclub here in New York. It's been around since the 70s and sort of made their name as a world music club. So they had yeah. reggae, African music and Brazilian music. And and uh, I had been handing out flyers for them on the street the summer prior and um, You know, I was that person at like the end of the night handing out flyers to to the the club goers uh, for upcoming shows. And I hit it off with the publicist, who was my boss. And she was leaving her job the same month that I was graduating college. So I basically waltzed in straight out of school, I became the publicist at SOB's nightclub. I was in way over my head.
1: And that's like a big deal.
0: It was a big fucking deal. I was 22 or whatever, and I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. And I lasted there about six months. And I worked at a record store for maybe the next six months. And then the dream come true job came along, which was um, Earache Records. I was really into metal at that time. And I still am. Um, basically, I saw, uh, I saw a classified ad in the back of the Village Voice, and it was indie record label Seeks publicist um, sitting in my kitchen at 22 years old. And uh, you just happened to see that ad, answered the ad, went in for a, an interview, and got the job. So that was uh, the next five years of my life, you know, from like, 2000 to 2005, I was the publicist at Eerike Records' New York office handling all their North American PR. Dream come true. You know, I was really stoked on metal at that time. And my roster right off the bat was like Morbid Angel, Hate Eternal, Decapitated, eventually Deicide, um, Cult of Luna, and then Municipal Waste got signed right at the end of my five years there um right so a lot of cool stuff and much credit goes to al dawson who was my boss he was the guy who hired me based on our one interview you know he saw something in me obviously that he felt was you know the right person for the job and he 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 just gave me such a such a crazy opportunity and so i'm always grateful to him and i I think on many many levels he is a PR genius himself although he's never called himself a publicist he's uh, that's not his title but he really has a head for PR and I think I learned a lot from him as a a boss but anyhow I did five years there and then just felt like fuck I want to do my own thing and just started to feel like maybe I could I could branch out on my own and and do this myself and so I took that leap in 2005 and I've been self-employed ever since. In 2016, I teamed up with two other guys, Justin Pearson from 31 g Records, The Locust, Dead Cross, many bands, Swing Kids, and the other guy is Brandon Gallagher, who makes music under the name Trace Amount, and also a very talented uh, artist, you know, video maker, graphic designer. Three of us teamed up in 2016 and started the company called The Chain, And that is basically an extension of the self-employed PR thing I've been doing since 2005. But I brought in those two guys. We are just a great uh, trio where we just help each other out, bounce ideas, help each other in whatever ways we can. Uh, JP and I are actively doing PR for bands. Brandon has stayed more on the visual side of things where he's creating graphics, creating videos. Um, but there's really no limits with this with this company it's 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 based in PR but it really could evolve in any number of ways so that I guess that brings us up to date the other thing is I've been playing music this whole time
1: yeah pretty successfully too oh shit thank you that's kind of you I mean I don't know <laughs> but talk about that
0: started playing drums at age 10 and just went with it and let's see um the first band of Of note was called Wet Nurse and that was a band that ran from like 2001 to 2010 and um, that was me and, and friends here in New York City and then in that year 2010 I got offered to play drums for Today is the Day which is one of my favorite bands from when I was like 17 years old so another dream come true situation and I did three years in Today is the Day as the drummer and by then I was about 35 years old and it just hit this point where I was like ready to do something new, having done many years of drums and, and done a lot of cool stuff with that instrument, a lot of cool opportunities and tours and playing on records. and But I think at that point I was just hungry to do a thing that was 100% my own and felt like I had a lot to say that could not be done in the context of collaboration. You know, I've been collaborating with guys and bands and girls and bands for so many years. And that's a beautiful thing in its own way. But I was ready to do something that was entirely my own thing. And so I started this project called Body Stuff, which is what I'm still doing today. And that's me as a songwriter and me as a singer. So I've done, uh, released three EPs under that name. And I have the first full length coming out in June.
1: There you go. Which there's a single coming out from that?
0: There is a single coming out this week. Yes, that's the first song off the new album.
1: It'll already be out when uh, this drops, so be sure to go listen to Body Stuff, everyone. But now, time for the main event. Really, I guess what this distills down to is, when you're running a PR campaign, what do you feel makes a, a fan engage with a band or an artist or whatever?
0: What makes a fan engage with an artist is, yeah, it's the whole story. It's the whole package. So I'd say, obviously, it's subjective because each person has their own taste and each person is, is rocked on an emotional level by a different thing, different set of things. But, yeah, so it's the music itself. It's those vibrations. It's what you're getting from the music. And it is also, I would say, often the story of the artist and you know who is that person, what have they experienced, and what is it that I as the fan feel when I'm connecting with that artist? What is it that's being transmitted to me? So it is, I would say, music, it is also visual, and it, it is also something to do with story. So it's, yeah, it's it's a combination of things.
1: It sounds like a lot of what you're saying is kind of marketing with emotion.
0: Well, I think so. Explain what you mean by
1: that. Well, so sort of the way I view a lot of this is like music, essentially the selling point is it's like a mood altering drug that's consequence-free, unless you're us and you like it so much that you go live in a squat. But like, you know, but like broadly speaking, music is a consequence-free mind-altering drug, right? You listen to a band like Body Stuff, and there's an emotion, there's like an emotion I sort of associate just by saying the name Body Stuff, you know, just from sort of like the claustrophobic, intense, almost panickiness sometimes I get out of your sound, right? And I think that's, you know, and so, and so it's cathartic when you're in a certain state. And I, you know, and I feel like music can make you feel happier, it can make you, it can emphasize those emotions you're feeling in like a breakup or something, and I think that, broadly speaking, the people who get the most fans are typically the people who are able to show people, these are the emotions you're going to feel from my thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I've sort of viewed it. But I'm so I'm curious how you view it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, kind of a Rorschach test, because you just said my music makes you feel panicked. And, you know, to me,
1: not panicked,
0: but it's just oppressive or claustrophobic or yeah. something like that. Whereas to me, maybe the music I'm making, I think it's expansive and um, and different adjectives. So, so who knows? But, um, sure. yeah, I don't know. I think you've touched on a lot of valid, important points, and there's a lot to talk about there. Um, yeah, it's kind of like an artist is it, its sort of a portal to feeling many different things. And, and, and some of it is again, the music itself, the song itself, those actual physical vibrations or, or wh- whatever you want to call it. Um, eliciting a certain emotional response but it's also like what is the emotional response i get from looking at the band photo
1: yeah um absolutely you
0: know the colors in that photo or the t-shirt that that person is wearing or the dress that that person is wearing is making me uh feel a certain way or making me feel connected to things i think a lot of it is to do with connection like what is that artist connecting me to or and in some cases it's just an illusion um or it's like whatever my own mind is spinning it's a story that my own mind is spinning based upon the materials i've been given the song itself the photo um and in this day and age there's so much more that you know there's video content there's you're you're able to get a much uh more fleshed out dynamic picture of that artist and as the artist you're able to put forth such a more fleshed out dynamic picture whereas back in the day when I was like 10 obsessing on stuff it would be like I would look at one band photo in the liner notes of the record and that is all I had to go on until maybe the next issue of Rolling Stone arrived in the mail and maybe that band would have a a small photo in that magazine that would give me that would give my mind something new to 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 dwell on and to to sort of um connect with and and get inspired
1: by absolutely and that sort of talk about can you expand on that like can you cuz i, I cuz i think this is like something that you know still largely exists with instagram like the power of a good band photo and i think that i get really frustrated with artists who just can't post a good photo for, like to save their lives and i'm just like what the fuck's the point? Um, so can you talk about how the photo sort of can have a dramatic impact on the PR?
0: Yeah, and that's something I preach to clients of mine all the time, the power of visuals. And more and more bands, um, artists grasp that. And I feel like they, they get it more so now than they did before to a large extent. But um, yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think from the publicist's perspective the photos sometimes are as important as the music itself because i'm out here trying to get journalists editors to uh pay attention to these bands that i represent whom i believe in um Mm -hmm. you know i've had cases where an editor would reject a band based solely on the band photo they're like yeah this looks like shit uh no i don't want this in my magazine or or on my website but also like so they never even got to the music they they only got as far as the photos um yeah but then yeah in terms of you know, so that's, that's a publicist perspective where we're trying to break through we're trying to connect
1: with journalists with editors but um, um can, can i just chime in as a journalist really quick as a journalist right and i write a lot of reviews i write a review every day Um my blog two guys metal reviews and My first thing that I, I'm just flicking through the 20 promos I got that day. And the two things I have to go on, when you have 20 promos, that's like kind of too much to like listen to a song from each and decide your favorite, you know? And really the three things I have to go on are, do I know this band already? Do the genre tags appeal to me? These are both pretty obvious. And then like, yeah, is the art cool? And does the photo look like someone I would like? And I think, and I think it's the, and you have to also remember, I think, and I'd like your take on this, but like. Let's say you get that premiere on Metal Injection. The thumbnail is a picture of you. Yeah, I agree. Like it just—I don't know—it just seems like band photos are the high, some of the highest leverage time you can have. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a,
0: a way to instantly transmit a story.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, kind of going down the line, then. So, you're talking. So, how does a band or an artist foster connection when they're doing this? Well, you know, when they're in the promotional process.
0: That is a huge. That's a huge question, and I think you deal with that a lot in your line of work. Sure. Uh, So PR is just one little piece of that whole promotional slash marketing puzzle, right? So um, what I really excel in myself personally is um, knowing people in the media and connecting with them and uh, presenting the artists that I represent to those people and giving them a, a compelling reasons why I think they should pay attention to, to this artist. That's my piece of the puzzle. Tell me your question again.
1: So how do you foster connection between a fan and an artist?
0: Again, I mean, that's a, that's a huge question we could talk uh, all year about. Um, but for, again, from where I sit in, in, the, in the publicist role, there is that idea of telling a story So, you know, day one of a campaign, I will interview the band or the the artist that I'm working with and get as much info out of them as I can. And through that, try and craft a narrative, figure out what is the narrative or multiple narratives. What are the stories uh, going on here? And and then it's my job to know editors, writers, and to know, well, I think this story would appeal to these people. This other story mm-hmm. might appeal to these other folks. And and, um, and that's my job, to try and make those connections between the artist and those people who would potentially give coverage to those artists.
1: And then I guess sort of tied into that, you know, I think that one of the things I, I personally struggle with when it comes to PR and looking at that, right, is I sometimes like I feel like a decent chunk of the publications are just kind of useless. Like, how do you dictate your time when it comes to pitching? How do you determine if a publication is going to have value for a fan?
0: Um, I've always tried to aim high and you know, not waste resources on stuff that I don't believe makes an impact. You know, an early experience of mine was working at Earache Records and. Getting the band decapitated in Spin magazine, and this was like within the first six months of working there. Yeah, and the angle going back to this idea of story and narrative, the angle at that time was that this band was super young because at decapitated, I think the drummer was like thirteen at that time. It was, wow! So we were very much trying to push that angle that the, well, a they're from Poland, b they are teenagers, and I got decapitated in Spin with a little headline of um, something along the lines of Polish teenage death metal alert, decapitated. And that was super exciting to me. And that was probably the the biggest press I had landed for a band up to that point. Again, this was like the first few months of, of working there. Sure. And it was a thrill. I was like, oh, my God. And also, you know, nowadays, Spin has a full-on metal column each month. Blast rights. At that time it was few and far between. The coverage of something as extreme as decapitated, it wasn't usual to see that in in a in a magazine as mainstream spin. Sure. So anyway, it was super cool. I think that was a formative experience. And and from there just always wanting to aim high and you know, believing that as one person doing this work, you know, let me try and make the most impact I can with every move I make. So let me try and aim high. Uh, and see what happens. Um, but having said that, uh, so your question is like, you feel like a lot of the outlets there just are not making an impact these days. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, like there's a bunch of outlets that like I just I see people pay a lot of money for press, and like sometimes the biggest outlet they get is like. My Rinky Dink metal blog.
0: Yeah. I try not to waste time personally with rinkydink.com. However, um, you know, in those cases, it, it, it's possible that those publicists also aimed high and did not get what they wanted. And so they went down the list, and went down the line, and figured out what they what they could achieve for that particular artist. I would say also like press has a few different functions, right? Like number one, on the most basic level, it's like get coverage for the band, the artist, in order to spread awareness. And so you hope that by having this press out in the world, the fans of music will learn about this band and then buy something. Like that's that's the yeah. most basic, right? Um, so that's one function of press. I would say another one is a little more abstract, but it's it's just the legitimacy factor. It's like, well, absolutely, maybe, right. So maybe maybe this piece, even the piece in Spin magazine, maybe it resulted in zero sales. That's very possible. Absolutely. But but it provided some legitimacy, um, and that has some value that can be leveraged, that can be used.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Right, so that's number two. And number three, number three function of press is it exists as a morale boost to the artists themselves.
1: Elaborate on that, because that's important. And
0: this is something I've realized, I think, only after decades of doing this job, and it's something I'm, I'm totally comfortable with. I think it's fine. It's... The fact that the job I do to some degree, it exists to boost the morale of the artists themselves because people like to see their name in print and they like to see their face on a website. They like to be written about. We probably, most of us probably feel that way. And they feel legitimate, legitimized often when their band, their musical outlet is being covered. You could look at that in a negative way, but I don't at all. I think it's a very useful thing in keeping this whole music industry going. You need to keep people stoked. Yeah. And you're, we're, we're helping keep these wheels turning by uh, keeping these people stoked and, and keeping them making more music.
1: Something I was hoping you'd touch on, that I want to kind of talk with you for a second about is also tied into that, this idea of early adopters. And I feel like a lot of the early adopters in music are reading some of the weird little blogs. Like I know that my blog is like at this point, weirdly like one of the longest running black metal oriented blogs on the internet. And I have like a pretty good size audience for like someone who doesn't promote the website really. Hell yeah. You know, but I also, but I also know, cause I've talked to like my followers, oh, it's because these people are looking for the, uh, they're the early adopters who are trying to read what other black metal nerds are saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that your blog is a rinky dink blog.
1: I'm saying my blog is a rinky dink blog. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think there's, um, it makes sense. Like you, you want to, certain people want to dig deep and, find that esoteric thing. And it might seem like the, the blog that no one's reading might have more value to certain people because they're like, well, you know, the, the bigger outlets are all covering the same music. There's a bunch of publicists behind the scenes that are pushing the bands to these to these outlets and it's all the sure. same. I don't, I don't trust that stuff. So I want to find the kid who's really just doing this journalistic pursuit out of pure passion in in their bedroom and who's who's untouched by the music industry forces so in that sense yeah
1: whoops
0: (laughs) well you are you are very touched by the forces but but you know (laughs) i was gonna say but i agree with what you're saying yeah that scenario could could definitely could definitely be valid
1: absolutely and i think that's that's one of the interesting things right is that like I feel like the most effective PR campaign is one that hits the nerdiest possible people. Mm. Cause like they're the they're the word of mouth people. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Does that make sense as like an overarching uh viewpoint?
0: <laughs> yeah. So who are the nerds in this scenario?
1: Well, like I'm talking about like the guys who are encyclopedia Metallum editors. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the guys who like their whole fucking motivation is that they know more about weird upcoming metal than you. And they don't even have like a professional idea behind it. They just, they want, they know more about metal than you. Mm -hmm. And I feel, I don't know. And I feel like that's kind of awesome.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, I like, I like passion in all its forms and authenticity in all its forms.
1: So what's kind of evolving in PR that has you excited? Mm, I don't know. How about you? I just care about TikTok, bro. Uh, I mean, I do I do actually think there's like a whole side of like, I feel like someone is going to start doing the same way that like there was like PR for Instagram influencers. I feel like you can do that for TikTok, but a lot more effectively. Because like there's entire TikTok pages that are just really sick hardcore videos that aren't like, I don't know, I feel like if I'm like, jake bannon and i post a video of a hardcore band that's not really necessarily going to help that hardcore band because people are following me for jake bannon they're not following me for hardcore i don't know i feel like these channels that are just like sick video live videos if you can get your band on one of those and it looks cool you're going to get a million views mm-hmm. i don't know that's my two cents
0: no i like that i like that um yeah my heart on a personal level is more in like long-form interviews and you know it's just what sure. has always Moved me as a consumer Absolutely. of media, um, going back to reading Rolling Stone magazine cover to cover when I was a little kid. And I enjoy podcasts very much. You know, yeah. I think again, the realness and the sense of um, openness between people and, and connecting and, and going deep, uh, you know, on a personal level. And I think no matter what's going on in culture, it does seem like that stuff really still resonates with people.
1: Absolutely. And and I think that's actually a very interesting point that like everyone wants to kind of be faster and stuff. But then you go and you look and Rick Beato is doing like hour long interviews that people love. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a a valid analysis. Um, is there anything you want to push other than your new single before we wrap this up?
0: New single, I suppose, will be out already by the yes. time. What's dropped. it called?
1: I don't think he says. The single
0: is called The Chains. It is track one Ooh. on the new album.
1: Nice. Uh, yes, the chains. Plural,
0: the chains plural, not to be confused with the chain singular.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that's kind of based. Love it. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. And and the new album is called Body Stuff Four. That is the first full length album after three EPs: Body Stuff One, Two, and Three. Uh, Body wow. Stuff Four coming out in June.
1: Excellent. That's really cool. That's really really cool. Stoked. Thank you for coming on, man.
0: Thank you so much. I'm a fan of what you do. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy.